Welcome to the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want the truth about having a healthy, happy, strong body. Remember, your body was meant to move. Now here's your host, Stephen Sashen. Most people think of Tai Chi as something that old people do that's moving really slowly and it's all very meditative. But what if something like Tai Chi could help you become a better, faster, healthier runner that finds running and moving more pleasant, more enjoyable, and more efficient? Well, we're going to find out about that on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about how to have a happy, healthy, strong body, usually starting from the feet first because that is your foundation. And on this podcast, we break through the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies about what it takes to run, to walk, to hike, to dance, to play, to do whatever it is you like to do more enjoyably and more effortlessly. If you haven't been here before, that's cool. Go over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com where you can find out all the different places that you can engage with us on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all those things. And of course, as people always say, you know, make sure you like and subscribe and review and share. The simple thing is we are trying to create a movement about natural movement. We want natural movement to be the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is. And if you want to become part of our tribe, please subscribe. So let me introduce our guest for today, my friend, Danny Dreyer, who you may know as the author of Chi Running and the person who teaches Chi Running. Hello, Danny. Hey, Stephen. Good to see you today. Thank you. I need to start with a bit of a, I don't know what it is, a disclaimer or so, and that is that Danny and I have known each other for, geez, quite a number of years before we started Zero Shoes and before you started She Running, in part because Lena, my wife, worked for Danny's wife like 20-something years ago. And so it's this wonderful yeah. intersection that we've had you know, since, and uh, it's a treat that we get to do this. But I guess that's kind of like when people disclose they're owned by someone or related to someone or something like that. Yeah, Zero Shoes was just a twinkle in your eye back then. I don't, I don't even think it was that. But before we jump into <laughs> all things related to Chi Running, because we are the Movement Movement podcast, I often like to start with a movement-related something. And I asked you if you had a movement-related something that you wanted to share with the gang, and you said, oh, oh yeah. And so I'm going to let you jump right in. Absolutely. So what I teach is, is exactly what Stephen's talking about, is mind-body connection. And that's what you get when you're wearing Zero shoes, obviously, because you get a much better connection with how you feel the ground. Well, what I teach is for people how to connect with their body. So right now, the movement thing you can do is actually not even a move. Well, it is a movement. It's a subtle movement. So I want you to put your focus on the crown of your head and just lift up at the crown of your head, and, and it'll straighten you up in your chair. If you're driving your car, it'll extend your spine just a little bit. And so what it does is just lifting at the crown of your head brings you present, brings you right into your body right away. And all of a sudden, your attention span gets better, your breath gets easier, you're more located in your body. So throughout this podcast, see how many times you can remember to do that. I'm going to have to do this often because I often find myself when I get into the conversations, like kind of diving in and. Oh know. yeah, it's exactly what I do. I got to do yeah. the same thing. Yeah. So that's a good one. And as soon as I did it, it was, it was actually really nice because I did feel my neck lengthen and just uh, everything just kind of lined up nicely and felt more comfortable. And of course the second phase that I did was after I kind of got there, I just checked to see how much extra effort I was applying to do that and then just let go of that extra effort. That was my, exactly. my little That's tweet. a good, good add on. Cool. So, Egads, before we even jump into the chi running thing, I've got to tell you one of my favorite stories and memories 
is Danny was out here in Boulder and we were sitting on the Boulder Creek path watching people run by and we mm-hmm. both kind of simultaneously were having the same response, which was often things like, oh, Jesus, stop doing that. Please wait, just cut it out. Like, Ugh. So it was so many people who were running in ways that were inefficient, unpleasant looking. None of them looked like they were remotely happy. And I, I know both of us had this sort of urge to like run up and tackle people and show them a better way. But you have been really doing this very actively with people. When did you start tree running? I don't even know the answer to that. Uh, 1999. Holy smokes. <laughs> 20 years we've been doing this thing. That is outrageous. And how many human beings have you taken through the Chi running program? Oh my God, I can't even imagine. I would guess it's probably... More than the licks it takes to get to the center of Tootsie Pop. Yeah, I would guess total with, with connection with books and web pages and stuff like that, over a million. Have you... That's super cool. Have you... We're. I think we're around 300,000 customers, which it's really fun when you start realizing that there's this sort of big impact. My favorite thing has been, or one of my favorite things has been the number of times I've been someplace and there's someone with a copy of Chi running. And uh, yeah. uh, it's very entertaining. How many times have you like been near someone who's got that and they had no idea who you were? Oh, many times actually. <laughs> I've seen, yeah. What, what happens? The funny thing is, is that when I walk, oh, I sit next to somebody on an airplane or something, we just strike yeah. up a conversation and they start talking about running. And then I go, oh yeah, well, I, I did this book and they go, get out. (laughs) (laughs) There's a a writer that I really adored, a guy named Mark Lehner, who said that he'll know he's made it when he's on an airplane and the guy sitting next to him is reading his book. And he said, Mm -hmm. he hasn't had anything like that yet, but he was on an airplane in the middle seat. And this was back during the OJ trial or around the OJ trial. And there was someone on the right of him reading a book that was that was like supporting OJ and on the left was anti OJ. And he thought that was almost as good as having someone read his <laughs> own book, which I don't think he introduced the two it's of them. Like being Eric, yeah, it's like being Eric Clapton to walk down the street and having somebody like whistle a tune. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, boy, it never, I don't know about you, but it never gets old for me. Uh, we had someone, a guy named Dave Kavanaugh, who last week on the last week, as of when we're taping this was in the Baltimore trials for uh, American Ninja Warrior. And I'm just watching American Ninja Warrior. And suddenly it's like, those are our shoes. And it just <laughs> it, it never gets old when it's people who I have never met. My favorite thing actually is when someone comes by and they're wearing zero shoes and we start a conversation and they have no idea who I am. Yeah, right. <laughs> you so, may actually take that shirt off every now and then, huh? <laughs> uh, I, do my, I always keep my zero shoes underwear on. So not many people get to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, just where the O is placed. That's the important part. And yeah, right. I don't know what that means. So people are making up their own jokes right now. All right, let's back up to the chi running thing. If okay. so, you describe chi running as about being mind body connection. Where tell what else do you want to say about what it is and what makes chi running? Well, actually, before we even get there, one of the things that amazes me is how people don't think they need instruction to run. They think all they need yeah. to do is put on a pair of shoes and away they go. Cause Hey, we all run, right? Yeah. We all run wrong. That's why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually a lot of people have asked me that it's been 20 years. I've been getting the same question. Why teach me to run? I've been doing it my whole life. Right. Okay. My response is yes, you've been doing it your whole life, but you do not even have close to the same body you had when you were 10 years old, chasing somebody across the playground. 
Okay, that was before you were sitting in a car for years, sitting at your desk for years, getting poor habits, poor eating habits, poor movement habits. And so you are not dealing with that same external person that you internally feel. And so... Are you telling me that just because I have a pair of sweatpants that I had since high school, that I'm not the same person that I was in high school? Is that what you're telling me? No, you're not legally the same person. (laughs) It's actually a good point. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and that really makes people think about it. I go, think about it. When you were a kid, you used to like run like crazy. You didn't necessarily get all wiped out. You were not injured every time you ran, you just ran. And, but now, you know, because you're adults and, and the other thing too, is a lot of people, they start running one way, but then they, when they get to adulthood, it gets really less desirable to fall down. Cause I always <laughs> ask people, you know, did you, is there anybody in the class that never fell down running as a kid and nobody yet has raised their hand. Right. And, and so we all did because that's how we ran was falling forward. It's, al- it's also how we stopped when we were little kids, the way you stop is you hit the ground. <laughs> and so, so I tell them, I, I go, you know, when you get older, you really don't want to fall. And so what people do is they start running upright, straight upright. That completely changes the physics of how you move your body. Right. Right. And so what I'm doing is trying to hit the reset button of how people used to run as kids. I'm not teaching somebody anything they don't already know or haven't done. Right. It's just a reset button. It's like, do you, if you don't remember, I'm here to remind you of how you actually used to move, which was more efficiently and with less impact, you know? I, I, I love to point out, um, I, have a, I have a recording. I have to find a way to, it's on my phone right now. Um, here, wait, I'm, I'm going to see if I can find this. This is a recording from a track meet that was here at the University of Colorado. They have them all summer long. And right. it's my favorite thing is watching kids because, again, they, kids, they get this crazy look on their face when they run. I think it's called smiling and they also just have no frame of reference for how to do it or not do it. For people who aren't watching this conversation we're having on video, they're not going to be able to to get the real value of this. So I'm going to have to post it somewhere. Let me see if I can show it to you because it's, it's just my favorite thing. Wait, hold on. Oh, here we go. I love taking pictures of kids. This, This is a, this is like the world's worst kind of production value ever on your marks. (laughs) <laughs> I just love that. It's like, they, you know, it's just, they don't know what the hell's going on. They're waiting for the gun to go off. They're, they're scared of the gun. The gun goes off. They don't know what to do. Then we, everyone kind of goes run. And it's like, then they run and you know, they can't stay in their lane. Their heads are kind of leading them off oh, back and forth. Yeah. And, you know, they get to the finish line. They don't know yeah. if they, what place they're in, but they're like so excited and we're all so excited. I mean, and that's the thing that, <laughs> that I think the whole idea of natural movement does is it gets you back to just the simplicity and the fun that we had when we were doing this as kids. Yeah, and the the biggest challenge for me then is to have a system that kind of uh, uh, devolves all of the (laughs) poor habits, movement habits, and everything that people have. So what do I get them to focus on in order to lose those bad habits? Because it's really neural training. Right, everything is. that's, That's all we're doing. And so they've gotten so many really strong neural links for doing the wrong thing right. that it's trying to undo that enough that they can actually neutralize how they move and be open to moving in a new way. Even. 
Well, what's so interesting is the neural pathways that we have for movement are so closely tied to our identity and in ways that oh, are yeah. very, very subtle. People don't even think about this very often. But so, you know, laying down a new neural pathway at all is a challenging thing. I don't know if you know this. My undergraduate research was cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. So this is a whole thing. I oh, do. great. Yeah, I developed a whole structure or it's kind of a big flow chart really for how it is we learn new things. And so right. it wasn't really about breaking out of existing patterns in, in a big way mm -hmm. because they were learning something that you really hadn't done before. Tap dancing is one of the examples. Um, no one has bad tap dancing yeah, yeah. ready. So, but when you have something that's exactly. already in existence, you've got to kind of, you know, learn the new thing and kind of de- Take, take the energy away from the old thing. And there's so much tied into who we right. think we are. And we just don't like doing that. And people seem to forget that process is, let's call it mildly stressful. And or well, the way people experience it is frustrating. And they think, oh, I can't do this because it's frustrating. It's like, no, that feeling of frustration is just the phenomenon of laying down a new neural pathway. And then after you yeah. try, you practice a little bit, you go rest and it gets more ingrained. And then you come back the next time and it's better, even though you didn't do anything in between. So people have to reframe exactly. that experience of learning a new thing. Yeah, and the thing about neural pathways is that the more you use them, the more ingrained they get. Yep. And the less you use them, the less ingrained they get. So that's how you break a habit. You know, If you don't do it anymore, that neural pathway starts to dissolve. And so what I do is I have the same thing. I don't tell people what not to do. Right. I tell them what to do on a regular basis. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So they're, they're doing this one new things every day, and then they're just kind of their mind just kind of pushes that other path that crowds it out basically. So then it's, then it just doesn't get nursed and it goes yeah. away. Yeah. You know? Use it or use it or lose it is the gist of it. That works neurologically. We haven't talked about this, so no pressure, but I want to ask you for some examples of some of the things we're talking about. And before I ask you that, is there anything that you're going to be able to offer to people who are listening or watching this so they can engage with this and find out more later? Cause you don't have to oh. say what it is, but if the answer is yes, absolutely. Okay, I just want people to know that as we go into this conversation, because yes. we're gonna. I want to touch on some of the things we're talking about, but I don't want people to worry that they're that they need to get it all right now, or that there's more and etc. So, give me a couple examples of some of the like the the basics of chi running, if you would, that are examples of what we've been talking about. Okay, so the basic the reason why it's called chi running. Let me go oh, yeah. back Let's do that. a little bit. Yes, yes, is because I've borrowed a lot of the principles from my practice of tai chi, which I have been doing for over 20 years now. And, and a lot of the principles that make a good martial artist have to do with proper body alignment, moving from your center, relaxing the moving parts, and all of that. And, and you can find it in any form of martial art, but Tai Chi is kind of the grandmother of all martial arts. So I went there. And, and so for example, the first thing I start everybody with in my classes is posture, because if you're, you're running can only be as good as your posture is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if your posture is out of whack, then muscles have to compensate for what your posture can accomplish pretty easily with a minimum amount of muscle. Right. And then another part would be like moving from your center. Now, here's the biggest thing that, that has actually given running kind of a bad name. <laughs> and that is people think that they need to run by pushing with their legs. And that's kind of a myth unless you're a sprinter like yourself. You do have to use your legs, but you also have to use your core. 
And if you don't connect that to your legs, you are dead in the water right off the bat. Well, you know, it's no, it's really no different. There's a, a book that I'm reading right now from my friend, Joel Smith. I think it's called Speed Strength. It's an incredible book about developing strength as a sprinter. And the first, the maybe the entire first chapter is all about everything you just said. It's all about alignment. His basic thing is you can't get stronger until you know how to move correctly because otherwise you're going to be getting stronger in places that aren't helpful. And if you move correctly, you're applying just the right amount of energy in just the right place. And so it takes less effort to do it. And when I was on the track this past weekend, we were doing some, some just like acceleration drills mostly. And I did, we did nine of them. And the first eight, I just felt like I was working too hard. And the last one, it just felt like I was flying. It just, I, you know, for whatever reason, it took me a while till I got things lined up and the, back to the Tai Chi example you were giving, I did Tai Chi a long time ago. And mm-hmm. I, after years and years, I said to my teacher, who was this crazy Tai Chi player, this is a guy who, when I met him, had been doing Tai Chi for 22 years and he was 27 at the time. And so I said, <laughs> oh, I just realized that people have this mistaken idea that Tai Chi is about everything being relaxed and almost weak. But what we're really doing is we're creating a structure that's like a 2000 ton steel girder, but it's on a perfect fulcrum so that it moves effortlessly. And then at certain points in the fighting, in the fighting form of Tai Chi, and at certain points we just stop that steel beam from moving and people run into it and bounce off of it. And it's like, Oh, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. And the part, and the part with Tai Chi that's very powerful is that this alignment is so key because that's your, during your support phase, when your foot hits the ground, that's when you need to support your body weight by your structure, not by your muscles. So if your right. body is lined up right, then that whole body support system doesn't cost you anything. And then comes in the propulsion system, you know, and mostly what I teach are endurance runners. I'm not like a sprint coach because right. the rules change. But for endurance runners, it's very important that you use that you engage with the pull of gravity. That's why there's a forward fall always in, always involved with it but the thing about tai chi is that you have this it's always based on this principle of yin and yang right well the yin is this gathering energy that's your center line that's this you know all the energy coming to your middle yang is this open relaxed expansive kind of thing so your structure is the yin and the moving parts of your body are the yang so that means that you can be as really strong in your core and in your center, but the moving parts need to be so relaxed. So what I tell people is the faster you go, the more you relax the moving parts. Yeah. And in fact, to the point where I coach people to the faster you go, I want you to pretend like your legs are just becoming increasingly invisible. As you <laughs> yeah. I like that. And it works. Yeah. It's interesting, again, thinking back to sprinting, when I, I met a guy named, named James Davis, James was a coach of mine, a good friend of mine, and when I first met him, he said, let me just watch you warm up, let me just watch you run, and he says, you're a fast runner, you're just not a sprinter, and I said, oh, well, that's interesting, because I hadn't sprinted since I was 15, this is when I was 45, actually, I met James when I was about 48, 49, and, and he says, and, and I don't have to watch you, I just think, all I have to do is listen, I can just hear, just the yeah. sound of how your foot hits the ground, I can hear the whole thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when my when I'm coaching people, I go, the better you run, the less I hear. 
Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. you want to run so quietly. And so like, not, not like real strong push off, not real slap on the ground. Don't run yourself into the ground. That's a, that's an old phrase you've heard forever, but it works for runners. I, one of the things I say is you don't want your feet to land on the ground. You don't want to be using them as a, as landing every time. Then you have to push off every time. How yeah, do you, yeah. how do you frame? I mean, it's a yin yang thing or for other people, yin yang let's call the whole thing off. How do you frame the, just this whole phenomenon that what I often talk about and what everyone in the natural movement world talks about is, look, you have these built-in springs and shock absorbers called your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, and you want them to be doing the job, not your footwear doing the job. How does that framework right. fit what you're talking about? I mean, well, so- it, one thing to get really clear on is that there's a very different running style between sprinters and endurance runners. So right off the bat, they're two totally different styles. That's okay. There aren't many of us to begin with, so you don't need to talk to people like me. <laughs> okay. But that being said, I would say that, you know, when you're doing endurance running, at least, you want to make sure that you are as economical as you can possibly be because you don't want to be, you know, carried away in a body bag if you're doing an ultra or something like that, you know? And so the least amount of energy you can use, the better. And so when I say sprinters use more of that spring mm-hmm. in the toes and the calves, Achilles tendon, all of that stuff, endurance runners use the recoil motion, not the, not so much that, that, tension and release now here's 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 how i will explain that yeah is that for sprinters as you go faster your legs turn over faster right as endurance runner and what i teach people is that the faster you go the longer your stride gets now sprinters don't necessarily do that you know uh, you, you know, well you I, basically you hit a certain they point get, where, yeah i mean you're, you're basically yeah you don't want to artificially no you don't want to artificially try and lengthen your stride that just doesn't work no no no, no. No, yeah. but I mean, with endurance running, it yeah. comes out of the longer stride comes out of relaxation. So if you notice how, how long the stride is of a Kenyan runner, because, and their stride doesn't extend long out in front of them. It extends I was just ask you, behind. behind them. So yeah. what happens is when that extends behind them, they're stretching the whole series of fascia that goes all the way from their rotator cuff across their body, down their quad around the back of their leg to the Achilles tendon. So it's like one giant rubber band stretching the fascia. So the road comes by, sweeps your leg out behind you. That stretches this whole full-length body rubber band. And then as soon as your leg comes off the ground, that recoil brings your leg forward. So you're not using your quads to bring your knees back to original position. It's I a think, recoil. I think you're very a sprint- economical. I think you're a sprintist. That's the running version of racist. And the reason that I say that is everything you just said is actually exactly true and the same for sprinters. It's just that Mm -hmm. there's more, everything's, it's not even that it's tighter. It's that it's, I don't know how to describe this. It's not as relaxed as what you're describing, but it's exactly the same. No, no, it shouldn't be. No, exactly. It's exactly the same. In fact, it was funny reading, you know, going through Joel's book and playing over the weekend. One of the points that he makes is a lot of sprinters try to keep their, when they're running, they try to keep their hands basically as if you're going to collapse. They're facing each other and they want to, you know, and trying to keep them move your arms moving just parallel to the frontal plane and just back and forth. And he's saying what you actually want to do is rotate your arm by starting with your wrist. As your arm is swinging back, you want to rotate your wrist. So your pinky is kind of pointing 
I'm exaggerating. Your pinky will be pointing out. And what that does is it internally rotates the shoulder and creates that whole kind of rotational spring thing that happens from the hip right. all the way up into the shoulder as well. And I had never really played with that. And yeah. I played with that over the weekend. And it was like, holy smokes, because it made my hip rotate back more and I got more extension. And that's where things started getting lighter because yeah. it just made the spring set up. And when I hit the ground, it just recoiled in, in a very similar way, but just not as open as what you see with distance runners. It, it's again, it's very similar. The, the subtle differences yeah. are significant. Um, amount of force you're applying to the ground and what some of the positions look like. But by and large, it's really the exact same biomechanics that you're talking about. It's just that when you're doing it at almost twice the speed, the effect looks very different. Yeah, it does look very different. And not only that, but what you might find, and I don't know if you've ever tried this or even heard about it, but what I call this stride that opens up behind and creates this stretch and recoil, endurance runners, what I'm training people to do is to allow that hip to even go back with the leg. So it creates a little lower body torque. Oh, you know interesting. What I mean? yeah, yeah, your yeah. shoulders always face forward. Your shoulders yep. are always, but let your whole lower body twist as if your pelvis is rotating back with that rear leg. Okay. That yeah, creates even more of that stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. then you're your psoas and big hip flexor muscles. Right. Okay. As a sprinter, they always train you never to rotate your pelvis and that it's really power through the legs, you know, well, which it's, is a little different. There's, there's debates about that. I mean, one of the debates has to do with some people talk about the arms and some people say, well, the arms aren't necessary. And the proof is here's a guy who has no arms who ran a 20 second, hundred meters or 200 meters. It's like, okay, well, that's fine. But I mean, that guy's crazy insane. Yeah. It's, again, it seems like we're talking about the same things just with a slightly more restricted motion. Again, simply because of the requirements of the yeah. additional speed. It's like you just don't have the well, time because reason- re- you still want that same stretch reflex thing happening. You want to be letting yeah, your body. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, not, not, even, not even shorter, just faster. It has to happen in a fast, in a shorter amount of time. And therefore it can't extend. Yeah. It can't be quite as extensive. It can't be quite as long, but it's otherwise it's right. basically the exact same thing. Like when people look at sprinters and they see the front side mechanics, which is just what happens in front of your body with your legs and they see the high knee and they think that, oh, it's about lifting your knees up. It's like, no, that's just the reactive motion of when you put force in the ground properly, that's just where your knee ends up. And again, that's the knee ends up way higher for a sprinter than it does for an endurance runner. But again, it's not because they're doing something active. It's just that's what happens when you put things in the right position and you're moving at that particular speed and you're all lined up correctly. So yeah, it's my, my favorite and by favorite, I mean, least favorite thing when I'm at a track meet, especially a high school track meet, and I hear the parents yelling to their kids, get your knees up. It's like, it's too late. By that point, you know, you can't, you don't, it's not an active thing that you do. And if you're yelling that it's, it's already too late. Yeah. But, so, so this thing that I'm talking about with, you know, really yeah. creating this nice long recoil yeah. is that with what you can do with sprinting or with running up hills, which is the same to me as sprinting, running right. up hills, you know, same thing. What you can do is instead of just allowing that, allowing the road to create that torque is mm. that you can actually create that torque if you're sprinting or going uphill. Now, imagine bringing in the strength of your obliques with uh-huh. every stride, you know, and that's why your arm is powering forward so that that hip can power rearward. And right. that's really driving your legs from your obliques, which is a much stronger set of muscles than your quads or calves oh, or absolutely. hamstrings or any of that stuff. Very strong set of muscles. And people don't realize how important the arms are 
to engage those obliques. Right. And, and you have to really get this first phase of what I call passive, uh, <laughs> passive stretch uh, to actually actively driving that hip rearward, which is very powerful. And I can run up hills forever, not use and rest my legs the whole way up because I'm just driving from my obliques. Uh, that's really so cool. It's a very, yeah, it's, it's a totally different take than anybody I've ever heard, but it really is powerful and it works. So when yeah. I coach people to run halves or marathons, like I've, I've done a coaching program here in Asheville, and there's a very hilly half and full course that happens every year. And, and so we, we train on hills a lot of the time. And so for, you know, five months, we train how to do hills without using your legs. And these people, they, they finish and they go, oh, my God, that like took nothing out of my body. That's and really that's, interesting. You uh, made me think of Arthur Lydiard, um, who's a coach out of New Zealand who coached more world and Olympic champions than anybody else coming out of a tiny little country. And hills were his big thing. Now, I don't think he had the idea that you had about not using your legs, quote unquote. But I mean, but for him, hills were everything. He always overtrained his athletes. You know, he always like did more. If it was a, if they were running a 10K, they did a half marathon in their oh, training. Oh, no, he, he had his, eight, Peter Snell, he had his 800 meter runners training with his marathoners. Right. Yeah, exactly. Same yeah. thing. And, uh, but I got to meet Arthur Lydiard once and he gave a talk in California. So I went to go meet him and gosh, he's probably died 25 years ago. Yeah. But he, uh, exactly what he was talking about. But yes, this whole thing about engaging your obliques that I'll say an interesting thing about the obliques is that you have internal obliques and external obliques, right? right? Yeah. Well, the internal on one side does the same job as the external on the other side. So internal, external, because Wait, if you, I'm trying, I'm trying to visualize that. So well, let me stand up here. So, okay. so here you've got your uh, external obliques that come yep. down this way, right? So when yep. this so, one so wait, contracts, people who are listening, that's coming from wait, that's come, wait for the people who are listening. So that's coming from sort of the outside of your ribs towards the middle of your pelvis, basically. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now you've got your internal obliques that go perpendicular to that set of muscles. Ah, okay. From this way, the internal obliques go this way. Okay. Okay. They actually that's, run so perpendicular to each other. And so, but, so what, wait again for the people who are listening. So you're describing your, the motion you're making is basically from your sternum to the outside of your hips. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so if this external oblique contracts, it'll yeah. pull your shoulders this way or pull your hip that mm -hmm. way, you know. Yep. And so if this external matches this internal, you've got two muscles contracting in the same uh, okay, direction. Okay, got it, got it. It's the only place in the human body where two muscles, two different muscles do the same job. So you've got this powerful team of muscles that can really drive hips, especially on hills and like sprinting. So next time out there, think about it. So when, yeah. when your that arm powers forward, yeah. that's going to engage those obliques to drive the same side hip rearward. Right. And that's, and then you can actually relax your legs. It's not real. You're not reliant quite as much on all this of that leg. I remember when I when I first again got back into sprinting 15 years ago that I noticed demonstrably how the more I was able to relax, the faster I was able to move. Mm -hmm. And it was now the comical thing there is people say, well, you have to relax your face and relax your whatever, which I'm not saying you don't need to do, but then you watch sprinters and there'll be times where like, you know, Usain Bolt's in a race and you see his face is totally relaxed and the people next to him 
totally the opposite. Um, and they're going to see that's why he won. It's like, no, that's not actually why he won. There'll be, there'll be times where, you know, he would, it, helped him. It, it may have, but there's certainly times where like Tyson Gay, who prior to Usain Bolt was the fastest guy in the world. That guy looks like his head's about to pop off because everything's so tense. And he was the fastest guy in the world. His face and his neck were tense, but everything underneath there just moved so beautifully. And so, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of cause and effect confusion I've noticed. And yeah. that's partly what you're describing as well. It's just in the endurance world, just that, that same sort of thing. So we got, we got kind of into the weeds, and, which I like, but I want to kind of back up to a slightly higher, yeah. simpler level. What else can you say about a fundamental chi running concept that people might be able to experiment with when they get out of their whatever they're doing right now and go hit the track or the road or the trail or the whatever? Okay. So, so one thing is we were talking about arm swing. Yep. Right. So most people don't hold their hands high enough. You know, if your hands are low, it's going to slow down your leg ah, turnover. Right. And so everybody knows that even endurance runners should be running somewhere between 170 and 180 steps per minute. Right. If your hands are hanging out your side, there's no way you're going to be able to do 170 because right. your upper body is slowing your lower body down. So that's one. The other thing is, is that. So like wait, I want to right? pause there. So what that sure. fundamentally means is that what you're doing is, well, well, you're decreasing the flexion angle in your elbow. Another way of saying it is you're basically bending your arm more. If you have your arms fully extended. You're short, you're, yeah, you're shortening the pendulum. Yeah, you're shortening the pendulum. So keeping your arms, keeping your arms bent more so that, that you're not letting your hands drop way low and having yeah, a longer pendulum with more more longer yeah. moment arm, um, just you know, more effort to move something that's further out. So, and it's actually, there's another version yeah. of that I want to ask you about because when I watch really good endurance runners, one of the things that I notice, not only are their hands high, but their arm swing, it's really that, you know, you see the elbows going back. You don't see a back. big, you know, a huge pendulum motion. You see just the, no. the, the hands are basically, you know, barely moving really, but it's kind of looks like the only thing moving is the elbows behind them. And they've, they've yes. like, they're contracting the, the muscles in the upper back a little bit to kind of, let's imagine like if you lift your shoulders up and then roll them back, they're keeping their shoulders back as well. So the motion is happening backwards. And of course, if we're talking about the running pattern where your leg motion is more behind you than in front of you, you have more backside mechanics than frontside mechanics, the only way you can really effectively balance that is if your arms are doing that. If your arms are also the opposite arm is back when the opposite leg is back, it's the only way to do that. But it's something that's, that again is, is you see good distance runners doing this. And I'm amazed when I see more uh, recreational runners not trying to do that. I mean, the joke is they want to get the same shoes as that Kenyan guy, but they don't want to move like that Kenyan guy. Well, the interesting thing is that the detail that a lot of people miss with this one is the reason why you get your elbows rearward is to counterbalance your forward fall. Okay, so you can actually balance yourself and more of a forward lean, engage gravity more. So Uh, even though your elbows are swinging back, that's how you adjust how much lean works for you and doesn't work for you. And this whole thing with bending the arms, the same thing holds true with bending your knees. Now, there's a lot of people that shuffle when they run, you know? And if you shuffle when you run, you are going to create more impact. People think, oh, I'm just going to shuffle because I don't want to hit the ground that hard. Well, guess what? It's more more impact impact because the road's coming at you and your leg is coming at the road. But if it's up and over, then you get into that, you get into reducing that deceleration. 
you know, that happens. And sprinters are all about no deceleration. You know? as, as little yeah. as humanly possible. Well, you know, I think it was your analogy of just, ima- and correct me if I'm wrong, if it's not yours, and if you don't like it, then definitely correct me, of just- ima- If I do I like it, I'll take it. Yeah, okay, <laughs> perfect. Of just the image of your feet or your feet being on a wheel and your feet only hit the exactly. ground, like at that one point when the wheel hits the ground and you just want to have that feeling of like, they're bare, you know, you're, the wheel is moving across the ground at the speed you want to go. Your feet are rotating along with that. So they're just like, catching the ground, not landing on the ground. Is that yours? Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know, that comes, like I said, that comes totally out of my practice of Tai Chi. So in Tai Chi, any martial art is that when there's a force coming at you, the yeah. last thing you want to do is be meeting that force head on. Right. Okay. So one of the forces that's coming at you when you're running is the ground the oncoming road. Yeah. Right? As soon as you move one way, it's amazing how the road comes at you almost exactly the same speed. Damn, it. Right? Damn you road. Okay. <laughs> and so you need to know how to handle that force coming at you. And so this circular stride is your foot comes up and over. And when it comes down, it meets the road in the direction the road is going. And, and that's, you know, love, and that's what creates more, I mean, less deceleration. Impact. Yeah. I love, I love this idea of trying to mess with your perception so that the way it feels when you're running on a road is as if you're on a treadmill and the treadmill is the earth. And so the earth right. is rotating underneath you and moving underneath you. And you're yep. trying to catch it the same way you are on a treadmill. I do a, I do a weird variation of this when, uh, uh, for, for the hundred meters, when I'm at the start, I look at the finish and I kind of remind myself that we only have 3d vision because we have two eyes that are separated. And so the whole concept of three dimensional is a little bit, an artifice and if and it does a weird thing in my brain where i can where suddenly everything flattens out and so like all the visual information is just landing on a screen it's all landing in the same place and so when i look at the 100 meters it looks like i don't have to go anywhere that line is yeah. you know is very close at the same time i look at the 100 meters i go who put that finish line so far away but it's <laughs> but it's it's a fun thing to play with just mess with perception and see if you can if these weird little perceptual cues change the way you relate to the environment that you're in yeah yeah one thing that you should try next time you do a 100 meter sprint is find an object a target that's straight ahead of you on the other side of the finish line yeah right and focus your eyes on that target and not on the finish line, yeah, but on yeah. the target. And don't blink. <laughs> From the time the gun goes off till the well, time you cross the tape, don't even, don't take your attention off of that well, spot. I can't, I, can't, I can't do that because the first 20 meters, I'm basically head down during the drive phase. So I don't oh, come yeah, up. You're down, but when you come yeah. up, you want to like yeah, yeah, go, yeah. Okay, okay, it's like a heat-seeking missile. You know? All right. That's it. And it's amazing that, that distance disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll play with that. All you're, all you're doing is, is picking one spot, and that doesn't change. Right. You just move it, and then all of a sudden you're there. Did you ever? Do you ever see? The, did you ever see the video that I made? I made it. I don't know, a year or two ago, showing that the track that I'm on is all uphill both ways. No. (laughs) I'll just put a link to it. It was just, I did a sprint workout. I said, you know, I mean, people wonder why a sprint workout is so hard. Well, here, take a look. I had some cones out on the track. You can see the cone that's further away is higher up. And so this is uphill. And check this out. And then I run down to the other cone and look the other way and go, see, it's the same way going backwards. The further cone is further up. So I'm going uphill both ways. And there were people who thought I was being serious. It was really good. Yeah, this track was designed by uh, W.C. Escher. (laughs) It's an M.C. Escher track. 
there's a guy yeah. who's there's a guy who's drawing on the track with both hands and they're drawing each other. It's crazy. <laughs> so um, so anyway, this was a bit of a tangent from just other other simple things. Was arm motion was one. And keep your hands okay, up. Okay, so with one. arm. So arms going to the rear is important. It's, yeah. If you swing your arms forward, you are going to overstride. Mm-hmm. What that does when your arm comes forward, all of a sudden you create a recoil on the front side of your body that's right. going to lift that too far forward and you're going to land in front of your knees or in front of your center mass. So I never coach people except for sprinters. It's I never actually, coach people, endurance runners to not, to not but the, reach forward. But the, but the, arm, the arm swing for sprinters, if you, again, if you look, it, this is, it's, um, we're, we're so misunderstood. If you look, you'll Poor see guy. Huh? What'd you say? <laughs> Poor guy. I said, oh, <laughs> why don't people understand me? But you'll see actually, and Usain Bolt is a great example of this. You'll see that his upper arm stops moving barely, you know, his elbow is barely in front of his torso. It's really kind of an abbreviated right, thing. Right. And his yeah, hand yeah. is coming up like right by his chin, but the arm swing is, yes. it's not a big open thing where your elbow ends up way in front of your body, quite the opposite. Yeah. But it, but in a way, it looks like that's going to happen until you look at it in slow motion, where you see that it's not at all happening. So this weird right. optical illusion about you know what's happening with yeah. arm motion for sprinters, where they think it's this massive big thing, but it's actually pretty. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, you never want to have your elbows come past your ribs, is what I tell people. Uh, I like that one. Or uh, or unless there's unless there's someone else nearby and you got to get into their ribs. You, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's a, you know that's another thing that I find really interesting. I never was a basketball player, so I didn't know this about basketball. And again, as a sprinter, where I stay in my lane, I didn't know this about about running. But oh my god, when I started paying more attention to track and field events like the fifteen hundred, and saw that it's a fight out there. I mean, people are practically doing judo. Yeah, it's insane. Did you ever do? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're jostling, and I mean, I mean, like seriously, it's not. It is not a non-contact sport. Did you ever do any of those no, events no, no. where you're, you know, knocking people down practically? I've never done that. <laughs> I mean, not I've that you're actually going to knock someone down, runner. but I mean, you know, there's just a lot of contact. I mean, again, with like using basketball, I never oh. realized how much contact there was under the rim until I started because I never paid attention to basketball. It's like that's a that's practically boxing in there. It's it's amazing, and people just think of it as you know, oh. yeah, people just doing their thing. So that's elbow in the ribs. That was yeah. my, all right. So we did arm swing. Soccer oh, well, yeah, that's a whole other story. Well, soccer, cup soccer is like a mass wrestling match. Well, it's <laughs> mass wrestling with the added bonus of Academy Award winning acting. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that just got kicked me in the shin. Yeah, that guy's on the uh, other side of the field. On, uh, he's not even playing right now, but he still kicked me somehow. There's that component too, which I, I love. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, back to our main points was, oh, yeah, you know, okay. bend your elbows, bend your knees, let those heels come up behind right. you, you know, make yep. sure that that stride becomes circular. I tell people it's like having wheels on the bottom of your feet. You're, you're, it's no different than being clipped into a crank set on a bike. In mm. fact, when I coach triathletes, I, that's how I coach them. I say, you know, you're already on the bike. So when you come into T2, you know, you yeah. want to really start up on the pedals pull up on the pedals just get to a spot those muscles start firing you know get those neurotransmitters firing so when you get off the bike you're not running through concrete you're actually your feet up off the ground and um, so those are really good ones and then the other point about you know running quietly so if Mm -hmm. you're if you're just lifting your feet off the ground instead of pushing your feet off the ground it's um, less impact and you're lighter on your feet and everything 
I talk about this one a, a lot as well. I, I, an analogy I came up with, I said, imagine that you're stepping on a bee. If you step on a bee to get off the stinger, yeah, you don't push exactly. down harder. You lift up to get off. It's a reflexive motion off. And the sound, I, I love the whole sound thing because especially like in a pair of some of our thin sandals, there, there can be some slapping noises for one of two reasons. Either that you have them tied way too loosely or you're, it's just a coach. It's just showing you there's a stride glitch because it's possible to run really, really, mm-hmm. really quietly. And so the sound is just an incredible coach. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. and, and sound in general. Again, like we talked I'm about before. Yeah. yeah. It's one that people... It's remarkable. Yeah. Oh, it's... Well, we're so responsive to sound and we don't take advantage of it or again, really understand the value of it, of like what, it, what happens when you're listening. And even running, running hills, same thing. When you run hills, you can hear the difference between just placing your foot and kind of trying to drag the hill underneath you versus getting your feet underneath you where you're just flying up the hill. And it's actually, I just remember this. I had some, I never got to record this. There's a guy who runs right outside one of the windows in our house and he's in a pair of maximalist shoes, big, thick, massively cushioned shoes. And I can hear this guy coming from a block and a half away. Oh. And people, people talk about our sandals. They go, well, you know, they're making noise. Like, no, no, you're making noise and you can find a way to not make noise. Here's an example of someone not making noise. Yeah. But I want to have him as the example. It's like, see, it's not about cushioning because listen to this guy from a block away, just like wham, yeah. wham, wham. And I, I don't, I, maybe I haven't seen him this year because he can't run because his knees are shot from all that quote cushioning. It doesn't really <laughs> do anything, but it, it's incredible. I'll be watching TV, windows open. And I just, it's like hearing the ice cream truck coming. You know, it's like, yeah. here it comes. I, yeah. When I teach my uh, running classes, the chi running classes, I always give a talk during lunch hour, usually. It's a full day class. So at break time, we're sitting around and I talk about shoes. And when I talk about shoes, I tell people it's not about cushioning. It's about how you run. And, and then as soon as we get done with lunch, I have everybody take their shoes off. Mm-hmm. And run across the floor. So it's, I'm usually in a big gymnasium or something. And I and I say, now notice you might think that you're going to hit the ground really hard when you take your shoes off, but just be, have an open mind, you yeah. know, and and just see what it feels like and see what it sounds like. And so it's amazing because so there's obviously people running around this gym and you can't hear a single thing, <laughs> and it's because they're running barefoot. And and then then when I say, okay, so but you all still have your whatever running shoes you have. And so the idea behind like what I'm trying to teach with chi running is, you know, barefoot like. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to be barefoot, but it does mean you have to run like you're barefoot. And that's the big difference that people don't really get. And the shoe companies really believe it's their shoe that's going to make the difference. uh, Which is complete marketing bullshit. I mean, the line that I say, it's not about the footwear, it's the form. It just so happens that certain footwear or lack thereof is the most expedient way to make the adjustments to your form because you're getting that kind of feedback. So Irene Davis talks about this. She's, you know, she breaks things down into, I think she maybe called them traditional shoes and then partial minimalist shoes and then minimalist shoes. And she and I had a chat, we turned into a podcast and I said, I think you're, when you say that you're being politically correct, because I refer to it as true minimalist shoes, fake minimalist shoes and quote normal shoes. And the, her point is that the partial minimalist shoes, which are the shoes that the big shoe companies sell with the term minimalist or barefoot are actually worse because they still have so much cushioning that you don't get the feedback that you need and you're applying more force in the yeah. ground and, and you're not, you don't end up having that barefoot like form and people, and right. it, it, it's, it's, 
amazing is not the right word. I find it infuriating. Obviously, it's one of the reasons we started Zero Shoes. It's like, how can we, these people be lying for so long and everyone believing yeah. it for so long? Yeah. <laughs> Join politics in America. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, don't even get me started. Don't it's actually, started. you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing because with what you're doing, with what we're doing, we're both in many ways just overcoming what's essentially 50 years of propaganda. And now that it's over two generations, totally. the parents totally. are teaching the kids, the, the, the big shoe companies don't need to do it anymore because they've already taught one generation who's now teaching it for them. But just, you know, what it takes to overcome the status quo, to overcome common wisdom and wisdom in air quotes. It, it's, it, it's obviously it, it's an inspiring opportunity. We both feel that, but it's also yeah. an, an incredible challenge both practically and intellectually and i mean it's it's very compelling and i mm -hmm. uh, the good news is yeah. though it's fun to be right yeah. <laughs> i mean I really agree with that i well, yeah but you know you know i've been doing this for 20 years so i was a salmon swimming upstream for the first 12 years of that you know yeah. people were going oh come on give me a break yeah you're gonna teach me how to run yeah runners will Candace when we first came out and since then we've had you know numerous articles in runners world saying how cool it is and so we just had to work at changing the the perception that people have and it's starting to actually change enough article actually yeah. because when I first came out there were no biomechanical studies saying all this stuff that you're talking about and that oh, I'm no. talking about no today. no it didn't exist no and so it was my word against runner's world <laughs> right and about it, you know, or my world against New Balance, you know. I, I, Irene told Irene gave me a really interesting stat. She did a search for the phrase "running injury" and couldn't find any scientific studies that used the phrase "running injury" in the title till 1977. That like, doesn't surprise me a bit. No, uh, going to, did you ever did, have you ever had a chat with Phil Maffetone? I have talked with him. Yes, yeah, he's a good I, guy. Yeah, I, I adore Phil. Um, and he, um, when I first became friendly with him, because I remember getting his books, you know, back in the late 80s. And, oh, yeah. and one of the things he talked about was go out and get the cheapest pair of shoes you can get at Walmart, because that's going to be the best pair for you. And don't worry about it. You want something thin and flat and let your foot move. And I said, I asked him, and this, uh, this is the point of the story to you. I said to him, now that people have caught up with this idea, 30 years later, do you feel vindicated or do you feel like, why did it take so long? He's kind of that. Because, <laughs> you know, at first, the same thing. He was having all these just incredible arguments with people who just didn't want to go there for, because he was basically saying the big shoe companies are lying. And so go do the following thing. It's like, but they must be right. Look how much money they're spending telling us these things. Like, wait, what? Yeah. One prediction I made way back when the minimalist thing was first starting because back before minimal shoes, there were racing flats, right? right? Uh, and so racing flats were the only shoe that right. people wore for many, many years. That was it. And I, I, I predicted this was like <laughs> way the hell back. And I said, you watch racing flats right now cost $45 a pair. You know, <laughs> watch when this catches on basic flats are going to cost over a hundred dollars. And people are going, no way. Yeah. You know? And you know, there you are, you know, well, look, um, boom flies for like five hundred dollars or something. And it's, well, I was going to say uh, thanks for thanks for the insult. We're 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 releasing uh, ten <laughs> bucks soon, so it's actually it's well, the cost of living has gone up too. So you're off the hook. Okay. Ooh, there we go. It's actually it's kind of funny for us in particular. 
when people say, well, how come this shoe costs at whatever the hell it costs? Cause it doesn't matter whatever the cost is. People yeah. have a complaint at some point, but some people love it, but there's always someone who's going, it's too much. And they go, well, you know, there's like nothing in this shoe. Why does it cost so much? Like, because the materials that are nothing cost more than the materials that are something it's, it's really counterintuitive. Yes. It's challenging from a, being a guy who sells shoes perspective, because there's another psychological thing where we just naturally assume bigger and heavier things have more value than lighter things. Bigger is better. It's, it's, yeah. And yeah. so, but it, you know, if you want to offer a 5,000 tread warranty, 5,000 yeah. tread warranty, you got to pay some money for that tread. Well, there's know? that too. This is a conversation. I actually, I did a podcast about this recently and it was a conversation I had in Germany just recently about the whole sustainability thing where that's like the big buzzword now and everyone's using it as marketing propaganda. It's like, look how sustainable we are because we got 20% of something that we got from unicorn farts or whatever the hell they're claiming. And I say, yeah, but your shoe only lasts for 200 miles. So they've got to buy, they've got to buy, you know, 50 pairs to catch up with what we're doing. How is that sustainable? Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. But yeah. I mean, didn't I mention unicorn farts? I mean, come on, those things are, they're amazing. The amount of, um, hand waving of just like, hey, look over here while something else happens over here from the, the from quote, big shoe. It just, I, I, what's so motivating for me about that is I just don't like it when people lie to other people to get their money. And that's what's been going on sure. for 50 years. And <laughs> I'm hoping people are starting to wake up to that because, yeah, man, otherwise. That's what you and I are doing. It's all about education. Yeah. It's all yeah. about telling people what the truth is. And yeah. that's really what we're dedicated to right now. It's why we end up where we are. You know? Well, and it's why, I mean, this podcast started was, uh, I, I sometimes joke that if I restarted zero shoes, I'd call it truth footwear and our motto would be bullshit not included. But it's not, um, that's not good for the masses, if you will. It's not good to build a brand around that. I don't think it's good to get attention at first, but at a certain point you got to grow yeah. up. And, uh, but, it, but it really is. I mean, it's yeah. funny. I, I love getting into debates with uh, big shoe guys because there's like nothing they can say where I can't meet it with a fact that they have no recourse to. I, I just like to ask them questions. I ask the same question over and over. They yeah. make some statement. I go, do you have proof for that? <laughs> That's where the Yeah, because they've never, all the companies for 50 years never did any studies on the claims that they did. Oh, no, 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 no. no, heel no. or... Oh, no, oh, no, no, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard from some people who are in some of those companies. Oh, they did some studies. They just didn't come out in their favor. They, yeah, they didn't yeah. come out in their favor or they buried this study. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's so That's funny because it sounds, you know, it, it pretty much sounds like after I say that, that the next thing I'm going to say is, and by the way, the earth is flat, but it's like, I know the guys who were there. So it's just, it, it, because we don't have that info, uh, it's something I said in my conversation with Irene. I say, it's a shame that shoes don't kill people because if they did, we'd be able to dive in and get this information and find out all these facts about what the shoe companies have known for years and years and years. I mean, I I know some footwear company CEOs, big companies who know that natural movement is correct, who know that barefoot inspired form is correct, who know that what you're doing is correct. And they explicitly have said that they can't tell people that because it would be simultaneously admitting that what they've been selling for 50 years is a complete crock. Exactly. I mean, how can I've they heard form them a say it? How can they form their own competitor from within their own ranks? Right. It's no different than my wife worked for in the natural products industry for many years, you know, Catherine and, and at one point uh, Gerber's baby food would not sell an organic brand because that would oh, mean that there are other yeah. stuff all full of crap, you know, and they wouldn't wow. go there. I'm, <laughs> so it's the same thing. 
You reminded me of a totally crazy one. I had a neighbor, a woman who lived in the, the apartment underneath me when I was in college and we we're chatting. I said, so, you know, what does your dad do? And she, and she said, he's a food engineer. I said, what the hell does that mean? She goes, he invented, he invented the flavor of the quarter pounder. I said, I thought the quarter pounder was a quarter pound of meat. She goes, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? Quarter pound of chemicals. You know, was some quarter pound of substance. substance. I mean, there's oh, definitely, <laughs> there's meat. Actually, the crazier one is I said, well, what's he doing now? She goes, he's trying to develop ground beef that tastes like lobster. And I think I said, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's kind of bring this into uh, a finish line, if you will. Is there anything else that yeah. you want to say just sort of about something that would be valuable for people to know? And then, of course, to jump into where yes. they can find out more about what you're doing as well. I would say something that's valuable is because uh, you're on the minimalist end of the spectrum, for sure, with shoes. And I, re- it's really important that people know that just buying a pair of minimal shoes will not make you a better runner. You have to pay attention to how you interact with the ground. You have to do all the internal work so that these external shoes work. If they really help get yep. that feedback from the ground. But man, if you think, you know, you're going to wear minimal shoes and all of a sudden you're going to be a great runner, forget about it because you might get injured, which is what happened to a lot of people when they went to the Vibram Five Fingers gonna, and then decided, you know what, they made this claim and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree and disagree with you at the same time. The agree is yes, it's not again, it's not the footwear, it's the form. The footwear just helps inform the form if you pay attention. Yes. The thing with people getting injured, this is the, something that a point that I try to make all the time. While there were some people who got injured wearing, say, five fingers, for example, some of it, uh, a good amount of it, was from people either who had misunderstandings about what they were supposed to do. So they didn't just switch to a five finger and then go out and run the same way they were running. They had the idea, oh, I'm supposed to land on my forefoot. So they would reach out with their foot and overstride and then point their toes. So they're putting all this force on their metatarsals so they're not designed for doing that. So they were running wrong. That was one thing. Or they may have been running right, but then they were like so happy because it felt so much fun that they then would do too much and get tired and then revert to bad form when they couldn't tell. But the bigger thing is, there was no proof that the number of people or the percentage of people who got injured was in any way higher than the number of people and the percentage of people getting injured who were in shoes. So if the same percentage of people who switched were getting injured compared to the people who stayed in shoes, then there was no difference. And that's a big deal. People were presenting this information as if, if you just switch to a minimalist shoe, you're instantly going to get hurt, which was not the case at all. And again, they didn't compare to the control group of people who didn't switch. And that was the amazing bit of marketing spin that the big shoe companies did is they said, see, all these people are getting injured, but they never said, see, here's how many people are getting injured from wearing our shit. So anyway, that's a little statistical something. Yeah. You can also add to that, that your body does take some time to transition. It takes time. And this is actually a problem that Vibram had is it's different for each person or there's differences. It's not, there's a specific amount of time that it takes to transition. And Vibram put out a training program that was do this on day one, do this on day two, do this on day three. And if you follow that and you are not that person who fits that day one, day two, three pattern, that's going to be problematic. And people want a simple solution like tell me what to do every day. But the reality is you and I are not the same person and what's going to be right for you is different. And maybe it's not, maybe I'm not even the same person tomorrow. If I had a stressful day, I won't be able to do that workout that I would have been okay with if I didn't have a stressful day. So I love to say that the advantage of barefoot or minimalist is that you 
basically, well, I was going to say you have to, but you have the opportunity to do something much more radical, which is to become your own coach. Like we started to listen to your body, to pay attention to the information you're getting and use that. And that's fundamentally what you're doing while people are moving and what we're offering as well. But, you know, the invitation is to be able to do that all the time because you've got this relationship coming back in part starting with the feet because if you've been wearing big thick shoes you're not using all those nerve endings on the soles of your feet that are giving your body so much your brain so much information to use that just you know getting that neural pathway to wake up is a big deal and so that's why you know we have so many reports from people reporting all these incredible experiences it's just from getting back to letting your body do what bodies are supposed to do what a shock yeah, and that's the, probably the number one thing that I uh, try to get people to do is to take on the practice of body sensing. Because yeah. we we're not taught that as a culture, um, no. how to body sense. And, and if we did, we would be running differently, we'd be eating differently, we'd sure. be living well, and some people, and, and, and even there, there's individual differences. There's some people you say, you know, are you hungry? And the, let's call, say the average person, if they say yes, and you say, how do you know? They'll go, well, I feel like this emptiness in the pit of my stomach. But there's some people you say, are you hungry? And they say yes. And you go, how do you know? They go, what do you mean? I'm hungry. And they don't have a relationship to all those sensations from the neck down. No, and that doesn't mean they're that. wrong. They just have a different way of processing information. And that's a tricky one is, realizing that there are these other individual differences that we need to accommodate and uh, that, you know, we're, we're all unique snowflakes. <laughs> but I would say since we all have bodies, I will disagree yes. with you. Slightly. Well, since we all have bodies, it is a skill that we all need to learn whether absolutely. we have that skill now or not. To the extent know? that we can. And, you know, we're all unique snowflakes, except all snowflakes are uh, hexagonal or the hexagonal or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, they all match. Yeah, they're exactly. all, they all come out of the same family. All right. So if people want to find out more about Chi Running, would you like to share how they may do that? Yeah, they can go to uh, chirunning.com. That's our website. Well, and sure, then, that's um, easy. Yeah, that's really easy. <laughs> and I also, since I was on this podcast, we came up with a, what I would like people to do is get something they can actually use. And so awesome. we have this little presentation called the 10 Components of Good Running Form. And that's and so I will give you a link to post up. Oh, great! And put on the site, and they can click on that link and go for it. That sounds perfect. So be on the lookout in the show notes, or on the website, or on wherever you interact with this um, podcast, and you will find that link and get that from Danny, which is a great thing. And so. As always, thanks, because I know every time we sit down and do this, we could do this all day, every day for the rest of our lives. This is what we do. And then our wives go off and just kind of pat us on the head. Uh, So thank you very much. We will probably have more conversations. I definitely want to hear from people who have whatever experience they have exploring chi running, which obviously we wholeheartedly endorse. And let me wrap it up by saying to everyone else, once again, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find out all the different places you can interface with us and find out more about she running and everything else that we've talked about on the podcast as always go there to you know find places that you can like and subscribe and hit the bell if you're on youtube and leave reviews and comments if you have any questions or comments or anyone that you want to suggest be on the movement movement podcast drop me an email at move at join the movement movement.com again we're trying to create natural movement as the obvious better healthy choice the way natural food currently is so that at a certain point we won't have to have this conversation because this is just what everyone's already doing so if you want to be part of that tribe please subscribe and as always live life feet first you've been listening to the movement movement podcast with host steven sashin remember to join the tribe 
and subscribe at jointhemovementmovement.com.